Hello, and welcome to A Glimpse into the Future. My name is Rigas Hadzilakos, and in this podcast series, I talk to some of the world's leading experts to better understand how new technologies and ideas will shape our future. Today, I meet with Jeremy O'Brien. Jeremy is the director of the Center for Quantum Photonics at the University of Bristol. He's also a co-chair of the World Economics Council on the Future of Computing. So, Jeremy, you work on the future of computing, especially in something that is very confusing called quantum computing. Could you explain it to, to people that wouldn't necessarily understand what that means? Right. So maybe I can start by just telling you a little bit about our council. So it's on the future of computing, and we're very interested in um, you know where we go to next with computing. I think uh, we all appreciate that uh, you know we've had 50 years of Moore's Law, and uh, that's really by itself an incredible thing, I would say. That is uh, humankind travelling up an exponential curve for half a century, and uh, I think that should be impossible. And it's only been possible because of the trillions of dollars that have been invested into that industry and some of the smartest minds on the planet um, continuing to deliver. And, um, you know, at the end of that, we have uh, incredibly powerful computers uh, on our person, uh, often multiple uh, computers on our person. And... That's really the result of that, uh, that semiconductor industry pushing forwards and forwards year after year um, to the point where we now have uh, you know, fabrication facilities that cost about $10 billion to make and they, those facilities produce uh, billions of chips each year, each of those chips containing billions of components. So that's a really incredible technology and it's really that hardware that underpins you know, everything that we're talking about here at the World Economic Forum uh, in terms of the fourth industrial revolution. So whether it be artificial intelligence and robotics, uh, cybersecurity, blockchain, etc. And so our council uh, on the future of computing is very, very focused on that underpinning hardware. As I said, it's coming to an end, uh, Moore's Law. So although um, I think it's fair to say that, uh, you know, if at any point you had worked in the semiconductor industry, Uh, and you had predicted what would be possible in 10 years' time would be possible, you would have been laughed out of a job. So at every point along the way, there were claims of, you know, we'd never get below one micron feature size, or never get below 100 nanometers, never get below 10 nanometers. And time and again, these predictions were proved wrong, and uh, the industry marched forwards. But I'd like to make a similar prediction right here today with you, and that is that we will not make uh, transistors on the subatomic scale. And uh, we're getting to the stage where it's possible to count the number of silicon atoms across the smallest features of a uh, silicon transistor. And so it's clear that we really are coming to an end. And in fact, if you look at the data over the last several years, uh, depending on your interpretation, it has come to an end. And so what does that mean for the, for the future of computing? And given that, uh, you know, computing is really at the centre of everything, it's at the centre of everything to the point where it's, you know, either ubiquitous or has disappeared depending on your perspective. You know, we routinely expect mm -hmm. to be able to access information at our fingertips, um, you know, uh, make, uh, you know, communications and so on. Um, and there, there, there are alternatives and our council uh, are looking at, at, at some of those uh, exciting uh, alternatives. And the one that I'm particularly interested in is uh, quantum computing. And so I could tell you a little bit about that if you're interested. Please do, please do. That sounds like a fascinating field. So uh, quantum computing is an entirely new paradigm for, uh, for computation. And I think it's important at the outset to make clear that it's not 
just a faster computer. So I think it's it's you know often sort of uh, misunderstood that you know quantum computing is just a, you know the next generation a more powerful computer and so on. And I think the important point here is that because this computational power is exponentially greater, it really redefines what's possible to compute in the sense that you know if we took all the computing power on the planet today and we uh, tried to tackle uh, a, the problem of, uh, of factoring a, um, a several thousand digit number, it would take billions, billions of years or you know, longer than the age of the universe. So I think it's, you know, it's fair to say that problem is not possible to compute with, with that computing power. And that same problem uh, operating on a, say, a 100 megahertz quantum computer would take minutes to solve. And so in that sense, uh, yes, it is just faster, but it's so much faster, it's exponentially faster, and so it redefines what's possible. Now, that factoring example we might come back to later, but there are a whole host of examples that I'm, that I'm much more excited about, which I could also tell you about. Sure. Uh, please, uh, let, let, let's speak about some more of the, these examples of how could quantum computing solve some... What kind of problems does it solve uh, and why, why is it different? Sure. So I think, um, you know, the, the two kind of sectors that I'm most uh, excited about are health and energy. And maybe I can paint a little bit of a picture of, uh, you know, what those sectors might look like in the future when we have quantum computing. Um, so if we start, if we start with uh, energy, um, you know, one of the uh, underappreciated facts of the world, I would say, is that uh, the nitrogen in your body, of which there is quite a lot, um, the majority of it is made in a factory, uh, potentially depending on exactly how organic your diet is. But we simply couldn't feed the world's population without the advent of nitrogen-based fertilizers. And the way we make those fertilizers is to um, is to capture nitrogen from the atmosphere and uh, and put it into a solid form in the form of fertilizers. And that process of nitrogen fixation is um, hugely expensive, both in terms of the natural gas, it consumes several percent of the world's natural gas supply and a similar amount of the world's energy production. And the reason is that, uh, you know, it's a high pressure, high temperature process by which we, by which we make um, nitrogen. And yet we know that there are more efficient processes for doing that. There are microbes in the soil that do this at ambient conditions, so at, at room temperature and ambient pressures. Um, and yet, despite you know, 80 years or more of that, uh, that sort of economic imperative, if you like, to design a better process, we haven't hit upon that yet. And so that's just one very specific example of a problem that we now know how a quantum computer would be able to solve for us. And similarly, um, carbon sequestration out of the atmosphere is a similar scale problem where the very first uh, smaller scale quantum computers will be able to tackle those challenges. And at the other end of the spectrum, um, when we have larger scale quantum computers, we may ultimately be able to design a, um, a room temperature superconductor, which will have profound impacts, as you could imagine, on, uh, on, on energy as we distribute um, energy. I, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but I think it's tens of percent of, uh, of energy produced is lost in, lost in transmission. And, uh, you know, sticking with that energy theme, we, you know, we're going to be able to design a host of, of new materials that are, you know, more efficient for their tasks and, in fact, are multifunctional materials. So not only excellent at their particular function, but also uh, at multiple, multiple functions.
So how does that work? How, how really will this technology help us solve these problems? So at the heart of all of those examples that I've mm -hmm. just talked about is the problem of simulating molecules. And um, the whole field of quantum computing actually um, was uh, given its genesis by the late great uh, physicist Richard Feynman when he highlighted the fact that uh, it is impossible to simulate quantum mechanical systems like molecules on a conventional computer. And the reason is, is reasonably simple to articulate, and that is that just to write down the state of a molecule, to write down its, uh, its quantum mechanical state, um, takes an exponential amount of paper. So what I mean by that is that if, say, we have a five-atom molecule and it might take, you know, two pages of paper to write down its state, well, then we add just one atom, takes four pages, add another atom, it takes eight pages. I'm, I'm simplifying yeah. things, but you get the picture. So we, there's no way in which we can even um, have the storage to write down the state of, uh, of large molecules or large uh, chemical systems like that, never mind being able to work out properties of those molecules or the dynamics of them and so on. And so we now have very, um, very clear recipes for how we would go about uh, solving that problem on a quantum computer. And so that underpins uh, those examples of nitrogen fixation, of carbon sequestration, uh, designing new exotic materials, potentially including a, a room temperature superconductor. So that's the basis of that, and, and perhaps that you know gives me a segue into my other favourite sector, which is which is health. And so, you know, all of our pharmaceuticals um, are at heart uh, molecules where we where we face the exact same challenges in their simulation. And so I think it's uh, it's reasonable to expect that in the future, uh, quantum computers will help us to design uh, design new drugs to treat uh, to treat disease to design the materials in which those drugs could be encapsulated in order to deliver them to the um, appropriate target in the human body to then understand the interactions with that target furthermore to design sensors that are biocompatible um, with the human body and then you know again segueing into a slightly different uh, underpinning application area of artificial intelligence but doing something with the data that you collect from those sensors, you know, vast quantities from, uh, of data from individuals as well as from populations. Um, you know, we now have a, um, an understanding, an emerging understanding of how we might perform the tasks uh, of uh, machine learning that underpins artificial intelligence today far better on a quantum computer. How far away do you believe all of these possibilities will present themselves? Uh, you, you're obviously also in the technology creation side rather than just on the, on the theory and the science side. Uh, do you feel that in the next 10 or 15 years this will have already uh, have had an impact in the, in the energy and health sector as you, as you describe them right now or is it a bit more long term? No, I think that's exactly the timescales in which we'll, uh, we'll have uh, these sorts of impacts, the beginnings of them, so particularly those earlier examples that I, that I said. And, you know, I shouldn't, I, I don't want to downplay the challenges that are, um, that are ahead of us to realise uh, realize this capability. Um, I think one of the important things to appreciate is that to build a, uh, a large-scale universal quantum computer capable of tackling uh, the problems that I've just outlined uh, requires a, a very large complex system with millions to billions of components and so I believe that the only way that we'll get there uh, you know in a timely fashion 
is by harnessing those tools of the semiconductor industry that have been really perfected over the decades to, to make the uh, computer chips of today, that capability to make um, systems of very, very high complexity in silicon is, is unmatched. And I think if we can harness those, uh, those same tools to build quantum computers, then we'll, we will have uh, this technology in, um, you know, in, in our lifetimes and, and quite soon. Very impressive. So we have the tools are available. Do we have enough people working on this technology? Is it uh, as a field, as a scientific, as a technological field, is something that has gained traction in the last years and you see uh, a lot of people working on it and having the possibility of making a breakthrough? Yeah, I think uh, it's an emerging area. So, you know, I, I, I still feel pretty young, but I, I, I also sound pretty old when I say that I've been working in this area for about 20 years. Um, and, uh, you know, in that time I've seen uh, quantum computing go from being a kind of a crazy fringe uh, topic on the edge of physics, computer science, mathematics, electrical engineering, to now being, a, you know, a, a, a really uh, sort of respected uh, discipline in its own right. Um, I think I've seen the, the transition from sort of if to when. So I think, you know, several years ago it was clear that, you know, this really was possible. There's no fundamental in, in impediment. And so, you know, the question, as I say, moved from, well, maybe one day this might be possible to when will it be possible? And then I think um, more recently there's been another transition where, you know, I, I you know, at, at forums like this, at the World Economic Forum, when I speak to, you know, CEOs of Fortune 500 companies or, you know, heads of state, I no longer feel such a, such a need to sort of justify my field of quantum computing because... By and large, those individuals have all heard of quantum computing and they would like to know from me, you know, how is it going to affect their business, how is it going to affect the world and so on. So I think we're now moving into an era where, um, you know, there's a real pull for this technology and the result of that is that, you know, more and more young people are getting into the field. There's more and more, um, you know, support from governments and institutions uh, for this. So I think, you know, it's a, it's a very vibrant time for quantum computing and I think the the future's bright, so for the young people out there listening, I enthuse you to, to think about this as, a, as an area to focus on. Would you have any concerns? This all sounds very amazingly positive as, a, as potential impacts. Do you have any concerns about such a powerful tool being used for the wrong reasons, or are there any other risks that you see uh, coming up? Yeah, I think that um, as with any new technologies, there are, there are always benefits and risks, and uh, one of the things that I'm personally passionate about is to see that we, we maximise the benefits and, and minimise the, the risks. And, you know, I think um, more broadly and back to my role on the, um, the Future of Computing Council, um, you know, I, I'm really concerned that we start to think about how we can uh, equitably uh, distribute the benefits of technology. Um, I think we live in a world now where, you know, inequality... Um, uh, is rising and where inequality is, is driving um, unwanted disruption around the world. Um, and I think that you know technology has the capability to both exacerbate that inequality but also to diminish it. And I think that it's really uh, incumbent upon us to, um, to make sure that we, we try to reduce inequality, that we try and distribute the benefits more widely. Um, so, you know, my favourite example from history is the is this mobile phone where today, um, you know, 
people in marketplaces in developing countries can use that as a tool to conduct financial transactions without the say-so of a big bank. Um, people in those same sorts of environments are now starting to uh, receive um, education through through those tools, healthcare and so on. But I think that a, a lot of those things have been, you know, a decade delayed um, mm -hmm. by, you know, by some arguments. So why don't we think about um, trying to reduce that delay as a starting point? Um, and I don't think these things are a, are a zero-sum game. I think, you know, the, the more educated population we have globally, the healthier population we have globally, the, the, the healthier the entire world is and, you know, the, the, the bigger the market and, and, and so it goes. And so I'm, I'm really concerned to see those, um, those benefits of, you know, of, of technology in general and of this technology in particular be brought to bear. Well, let's hope that we can use future of computing can help us deal with the inequality problem as well as the energy and education right. and health problem. Thank you very much, Jeremy, for your time. Thank you. That was Jeremy O'Brien, the director of the Center for Quantum Photonics at the University of Bristol. My name is Rigas Hadzilakos, and that was all from this episode of A Glimpse into the Future. <laughs>